Well, hi, folks, and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. As always, this is Ken and Charlie. This week, we have a sort of a different theme to this episode, which is we're going to talk about really small islands, particularly in terms of biodiversity. And there's a reason for that, which is that, uh, Charlie, I believe you are on a small island at this very moment. <laughs> I am. The Naturally Adventurous budget splashed out and sent me on location to this beautiful paradise <laughs> island. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Money well spent. Yep. We're now traveling, We've got the school vacation, so we set off and we hit a few places on the way down. And at the moment, we are on this gorgeous island called Koh Surin, which is a national park. It's about 60 kilometers off the coast of southern Thailand in the Andaman Sea. Andaman Sea just sounds exotic, doesn't it? That's, uh, it just sound, sounds great. <laughs> Charlie and I actually went to the Andamans two years ago, pre-pandemic. We did. So we're going to try to restrict our discussion today to really, really small islands. So the Andamans are a bit too big for our discussion today. But yeah, there's some great islands. Well, before we get into it, we'll just quickly say big thanks to our Patreons. As always, we really, really appreciate your support and yeah thanks for kind of encouraging us by supporting us and if other folks want to become patreon sponsors check out the link in the show description so what sort of wildlife is on Kosarin? well we're here for multiple reasons so we have some good friends that come here every year and they've, they've always told us about it and it just sounded amazing and it's got absolutely fantastic snorkeling and scuba diving and it's just a beautiful beach and this year because of covid you know there's no foreign tourists so the number of tourists are much lower there's quite a lot of ties here at the moment but there's still you know I, i'm on a beach on my own at the moment you know it's a little small beach i just walked on a little path to so white coral sand beaches absolutely gorgeous but the the reason that i was keen to come here is that one of the very few birds i'm missing from thailand actually occurs on Koh Surin, and it's actually the only place in Thailand where you can get it. And that is the beach thickney. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've, I've seen it in Bali, Indonesia. Bali, right. That's uh, a it's great quite bird. quite a wide distribution. Yeah. Wide distribution, but very low density mm -hmm. and scarce uh, throughout. Yeah. It's quite sensitive to disturbance, so it tends to be in quite undisturbed areas along the coast. So those that don't know thick knees well, they're sort of like these big chunky wading birds, sometimes called stone curlews, or in Africa they call them dickops, means a thick head. But they're kind of clunky looking birds, mainly nocturnal, a lot of them, big eyes. They're kind of beige color with some patterning and little black stripes on them, but they're quite enigmatic. I think there's about 10 species in the world. I had seen seven, um, and then having come here, <laughs> I've added one more. It was funny, actually on the way in, we had to take a boat from the mainland. It took about an hour and a half to get here. It's like a kind of big speedboat type thing. So it's well offshore then. Yeah, 60 kilometers, eh? That's a ways. So that's, uh, that's pretty far. And it's actually the most northerly Thai island on the west coast. Just as far as the sort of uh, marine territory, we're fairly close to the border with Myanmar. The next island up in the chain belongs to Myanmar. But um, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I'm very glad that we came here. So yeah, on the way in, we took a speedboat and that took us to the edge of the island. And then there was more like shallow water. You had to go between the islands and onto the beach. So we sort of changed to a, a long tail boat. These 
kind of very long boats with a, a long pipe at the end with a little propeller at the end. They call them a long tail boat. Very Asian um, thing. And then we, yeah, very Thai thing. There was a James Bond movie that was filmed in Thailand and that, that had a, a boat chase around Bangkok with these long tail boats, <laughs> which is quite... <laughs> they, they call them uh, dragon boats sometimes. They're very cool. Very noisy as well, but uh, kind of exciting. Yeah. And we brought our own camping gear. Brought our tents. We brought food for five days. There, there is a restaurant here, but it's quite expensive by Thai standards. It's like uh, three bucks a meal instead Oof. of one, one buck on the uh, on the mainland side. There was no way I was going to pay that, so we, we brought our own. Now don't get out for now. Brought our own food. <laughs> you don't get out for now. Not made of money. <laughs> so uh, for people who don't know, these are these are Yorkshire sayings that Charlie has taught me through the years. I, I feel like I really internalized them. Yeah. So yeah, we've um, we brought all our food with us, and we've uh, we've been camping and snorkeling. We just actually arrived yesterday, but it's, it feels like I've been here a week already. But um, I'm sort of looking over the this little bay at the moment with this just turquoise water and crystal clear ocean. It's just absolutely delightful. Any marine mammals? Ah, uh, you know my yeah, my wife and son took a little boat trip this morning to um, a little spot around the other side of the island. And uh, while snorkeling, they came across a, a sea turtle. Oh, cool. Not sure what it was. Maybe a green or a... Um, Oxbill, or probably. Something like that. Yeah. It's pretty quiet. You know, you, you look out at sea and there's very few seabirds around. I saw a, a, just two or three turns on the ride over. Got like a bridal turn, which is a new bird for Felix. He was happy about it. I think that was actually his 700th bird. So he was uh, he was overjoyed with that. Yeah, and to be honest, the bird life is, you know, on these small islands, that's one thing about them. They're, the overall diversity is pretty low. <laughs> you know, you, you might go out birding and see 15 species, something like that, 20 species if you're lucky. But it's nothing compared to, you know, being back on the mainland. But, you know, there's always those few birds that you don't get elsewhere. So in this case, the beach thickney. There is a, another bird here, which I haven't seen this time, but I've actually seen with you before, which is the Nicobar pigeon. Yeah, amazing bird. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll, we'll put a photo in the gallery, but it's really one of the most spectacular birds in the world. I think it has these sort of elongated emerald metallic green plumes sort of hanging down from its neck, and um, they're a really exotic-looking bird. So I think we should probably tell folks the story of when we saw Nicobar pigeon, Yeah, but uh, <laughs> we should probably bring on... Uh, our wives to tell the, the true story but before we do that <laughs> I, i'm just curious because i'm looking on the wikipedia page for the surin islands and i guess there's five islands yeah and it says 91 yep. species of birds have been recorded that seems astoundingly high to me you think that's true oh i'm sure i mean i've seen several migrants today you know i've got two migrant philoscopus warblers got eastern crowns and arctic warblers this morning there was a right. asian brown flycatcher those forest wagtails so you know you do get migrants dropping in and then you know even though they are low density you do get seabirds as well you know there's a number of different terns just before we started recording i had this beautiful white-bellied sea eagle fly over and you know brahmini kites so you know there's a number of birds here the shorebirds alone is probably 30 or 40 species, so that, that makes sense. So not a lot yeah, of forest-dwelling yeah. birds, but no. seabirds and a few migrants, right? But, you know, the real diversity, though, is in the reefs. It's one of the best snorkeling destinations in the world, I think. And just going out snorkeling for the last couple of days, it's, it's just mind-blowing. It's not the element that I'm most 
comfortable with, like being in the ocean. I'm constantly sort of swallowing water and getting water in my mask and stuff. I'm not a real uh, accomplished snorkeler, but um, the diversity of fish is just, it's just mind-blowing. And it's kind of brought it home to me what it must be like to be a beginner birder. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm sort of looking at these fish. I've got a very rudimentary knowledge of what they are. You know, I know a few families, whatever. And I think, oh, that looks really distinctive. And you get back and you're looking at, I brought a nice big fish book with us. And you just can't find, you know, maybe one fish in 10, you know, you're able to ID. And it's just incredibly frustrating, you know, for me you know where i'm used to being able to identify every single bird that i see you know and it's um, you're a total neophyte under the sea yeah <laughs> yep i have had exactly the yeah. same experience and it it is humbling and it makes you just realize yeah you know i have a uh, very advanced degree of knowledge in one very specific domain but i'm just like a yeah a child in the reefs and what specifically always amazes me is my inability to retain detail you know, I see a beautiful fish, and I actually mentally try yep. to remember its marks so I can identify uh-huh. it later, and then I unfailingly uh, forget most of... You see another beautiful... Yeah, you, you see <laughs> another one, and then... It gets mixed up. And it's so weird yeah. to me because I can bird all day, and I can hide away details of 20 or 30 different bird sightings, including vocalizations and habitat yeah. and, and behavior, and then sort of come to the book at the end of the day and figure out what they were. But I seem to totally yeah. lack this with fish. But um, I think some of it is you don't really know exactly the important things to exactly to look at. You what know, to I'm, focus I'm, on. I'm trying to remember, oh, look, it, it's got, you know, two spots on it. And then you go back and then there's 20 fish all with two spots on them. You know, it's like... But the thing is, when you're birding, even if you're a beginner birder, you can have a little notepad and you can take notes or draw little things, but it's not quite as easy under the water. <laughs> I think there are sort of like waterproof notepads that you can use, but I really miss being able to take notes on all these fish. It's still a wonderful experience to be surrounded by so many cool things. And, and, you know, my son Felix has been, he's just got so into birds in the last few months. And my wife is, you know, she's a very accomplished uh, scuba diver and snorkeler. And she's very, very happy that he's also getting into snorkeling now as well. So I think this is her, her mm, moment nice. <laughs> to share, to share <laughs> yeah, her that's passion. Fair yeah. enough. After all the birding. Yeah. <laughs> So should we tell the, uh, the the Nicobar pigeon story, Ken? <laughs> yeah, do you want to you wanna give it a go or shall I? I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but basically it must have been the sort of March or April. And, you know, I'm, usually I'm pretty busy sort of January, February, March with tours. And that sort of string of tours came to an end. And we were just setting off on a vacation. There's my son and my wife, three of us. And we were sort of in southern Thailand, and it just so happened that at, at that time, Ken was on vacation with his wife in southern Thailand. And we didn't, we didn't even plan it that way. We just sort of no, realized. No, it just oh, happened. Minute, yeah, yeah, it was different yeah. tours, and, but it was just a busy year in Thailand, and we, there was a whole bunch of tours. We both did a couple tours. And I think, I don't know if you'd planned to go and see this, but we got talking about going to see this Nicobar pigeon. It was a big target for both of us. And we really wanted to see it. And I think we got some gen that this amazing looking bird could be seen quite easily on these islands these, um, called uh, Koh Simulan. So, yeah, I guess we decided to, to put together a little day trip out there. Yeah, there's, uh, there's all these sort of excursion boats that go out there. Now, the funny part of this story to me is um, <laughs> having heard it from the perspective of at least my wife. I don't know if, if Renell had a similar experience, but you and I had a very clear plan in our minds which was get to yep. this island and see Nicobar Pigeon. That was the uh-huh. prime goal. 
apparently we didn't yep. communicate this very clearly to our uh, significant <laughs> others. And apparently it was presented in terms of like a, you know, delightful day trip to a tiny island paradise. <laughs> What's funny about this is I really didn't consciously do that. You know, I, I think in my mind, it really was like, this is good for everybody. We get to see a cool bird and we get to go to a beautiful island. Yep. There was no conscious yep. manipulation going on, but maybe that's even scarier. Win -win. <laughs> exactly. <Yep>. But so, <laughs> and uh, so what getting to this island, uh, Koh Simulan actually entailed was you, you have to show up at a little, at a harbor and book a spot on a, on a boat. And when we did that, we really didn't realize exactly what we were getting into, but we, <laughs> we showed up relatively early the next morning and there's kind of a staging area like a like a big hall where all the all the tourists are waiting to get on the boat and first thing we noticed we were the only non-chinese folks there <laughs> i think every single other client of this company was, was chinese so this yep. is a place that is just like on the circuit of places that chinese tourists go and yeah the word it, got no, out i think amongst the chinese people and and it just became extremely popular extremely it, it, i've never seen a place that was so restricted to just one nationality it was it was kind of bizarre yeah and the number of people going out to this island was astounding i mean it was like it honestly felt like the normandy invasion to me so there was like 40 or 50 <laughs> of these sort of uh pt boats and each of them probably had what 80 people in it and yeah, again, 99% Chinese folks, um, just a handful of other nationalities. And they're these huge bo boats, these huge, huge speed boats, and they go at incredibly high speed. And, and just seeing like the ocean full of these things all just streaming towards this island at high speed. It, it was a weird experience. <laughs> it was like industrial, like mass scale tourism, like I've it rarely was, seen anywhere yeah. else. And so, you know, as all, as this experience is unfolding, certainly my wife was just baffled about why would I sign up for something like this? Because this is not the sort of thing I would like to do normally, you know, like sign up for a tourist excursion and sit like elbow to elbow with hundreds of other people. Like, like sardines. <laughs> it, it was literally like shoulder to shoulder in this, yeah. in this assault boat. She was just baffled. And then we finally, it was, you know, it was kind of like uh, where you are now. It was like an hour and a half to get out there, as I remember. Yep, yep. And we finally got to the beach, and there was already, you know, 30 or 40 boats there. And literally, the, the beach was a sea of humanity. <laughs> and she was just getting more and more puzzled about what is going on. Why, why are we doing this? And then, as she tells it, I, you know, I don't but, remember this specifically. You and I essentially sprinted yeah. off the boat at high speed and headed to exactly where we'd heard the pigeon hangs out. Don't forget, they they took away our shoes. We, we weren't allowed to wear shoes on the island. <laughs> That's right. We only allowed I forgot to, that, that. They drop you off on the beach, and they don't really want you to leave the beach or go wandering off. So the, the way they sort of keep everybody together is to take their shoes away from them. So we were we were barefoot on this beach, and we had a very specific piece of information about where this uh, Nicobar pigeon was to be found behind the toilet block is that right that's right this that's where we sprinted to apparently <laughs> abandoning our uh, significant others you know i think we were we were concerned about getting there before the like 8000 ah, tourists before everybody like, stumbled in everybody there flushed and it yeah scared the pigeon yeah. but um i guess we sort of poked our heads around the corner and and there they were as promised just sat there behind the toilet block
as promised. But then we sort of we were we were barefoot because we you know we weren't to be trusted with shoes, and so I just remember like <laughs> slopping our way through this pile of garbage, like rotten oh, plants, and there was like spiky <laughs> palm branches, and uh, yeah, and, you know, all the while we're sort of trying to watch and photograph these Nicobar pigeons that are slowly waddling their way back into the thicker forest. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, our you know our wives caught up with us, and yeah, I think they, they were, caught I, up. Yeah, I think uh, I think they were quite excited to see the bird too. But I think they also yeah. had a bit of an epiphany in terms of understanding uh, why oh, we were on this I, island in the I first see. place. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a it was a pretty mega bird, and we got great views. And it's just amazing. It, it was only obviously no one else went behind there. But it was amazing uh, what good views we got of it. Uh, uh, you know, despite there being you know thousands of people just like within you know a fairly short distance, like a hundred meters. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, incredible bird. People can see. We'll add a picture in the photo gallery. It's just world class bird. Just you can't believe this bird exists. It has these just ridiculous, oh, iridescent plumes, and it's quite a cool thing because it's basically a small island specialist, like quite a bit of wildlife. Um, restricted to small offshore islands. It's funny, it's named after the, the Nicobar Islands, which are to the south of the Andamans, which we mentioned before, but uh, of course not restricted to those. It's quite widely spread on small islands throughout sort of Southeast Asia, isn't it? Right. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not even on the main islands of the Nicobars. It's, you have to yeah. go to the Nicobars and then oh. go to like tiny little islets off of the Nicobars to, to actually see the pigeon. Not terribly well-named bird. No. One more detail about that trip that I remember. You know, we were sort of given lunch, which we enjoyed with our um, our Chinese tour companions. New friends. And new friends, yeah. I, I think I may, may have got to practice a little bit of my, my Chinese that day. But yeah, anyway, we had a little bit of a, a, a packed lunch and then sort of walked around the beach a little bit, bird in hand. And then we were sort of uh, herded back onto the boat and then the thing I remember when we got back to the mainland somewhere along the trip they'd taken pictures of us like of every person it may have been just before we got on the boat or something like that but when we got back we were sort of herded off the boat and then we were sort of paraded along the, the edge of these tables which were full of like commemorative plates that had every <laughs> single person's face on it so you, you could buy like a, it was like a little plate or a bowl like that without, you, you know, you're wearing your life jacket and smiling. And uh, yeah, they had, a, they had a plate and it was totally overpriced. And I think I, I remember this has been a bit of a point of contention because my wife always wanted that plate. And I, and I said it was it was it was too much money. But uh, <laughs> it, it was quite a out for now, a, a clever little. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you um, it was a bit of a bit of a gimmick. But I. I think in the end, I think everybody enjoyed the day and, and thought it was worthwhile. And, and we've often, as a family, talked about the Nicobar pigeons. So it was a pretty unique opportunity, but it was, it was certainly a u- unique experience. You know, the pigeon was great. The uniqueness <laughs> of the experience to me was really like being in the stream of Chinese mass market tourism was just a fascinating thing. It wasn't particularly yeah. some, like a magical trip to a little island. It was like, wow like some kind of culture shock and you know it was so many things about it were fascinating to me just the fact that so many people knew about this place and it was so on the circuit and the fact that people seemed to really enjoy this sort of thing and 
you know, maybe did something similar every day on a vacation is just so different from what I would ever <laughs> sign up for, except in the case of a Nicobar pigeon. It was certainly uh, an eye-opening experience. My my wife has subsequently always wondered if I have some kind of bird-based or wildlife-based motivation for certain decisions I've made about subsequent trips. And I, and I always have to say, no, 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 I really want you guys to see this place. There's no bird. There's no... Why would you think that? <laughs> <laughs> so you want to chat about Mepati? So you uh, you had joined me. I was guiding this uh, West Papua trip. And part of that trip is that we go to an island called Waigio. But then off of Waigio, Waigio is a, a fairly big island, sort of, I don't know, 10 miles across or something, 15. Off of Waigio are even smaller little islets. And that part of the world, um, the sort of Australasia, has a crazy assemblage of island specialist birds. And, and they're small island specialists. So they're sort of like the Nicobar pigeon. And, you know, we'd been scheming about how to get to one of these islands. We'd, we'd seen reports about all these great birds people had seen. We weren't sure exactly where. We sort of did some detective work on Google Earth. And then one afternoon we arranged a boat to go out to one of these islands. And, oh, it was fantastic. We, we saw almost 10 small island specialists. And it was amazing because the size of this island was like 100 meters across and what, yeah. three, 400 meters north? <laughs> I mean, absolutely tiny. minuscule. In most of the world, like an, an island like that would barely have birds, you know. This this island had sort of 10 endemic specialists. It was just amazing. You, we just sort of bushwhacked through the interior of this island. It was just bird after bird. And they all were things that we didn't see anywhere else on the itinerary. It was it was fantastic. I remember it was very um, touch and go whether we were even going to get there because uh, I think the tides had to be right and you know they had to organize a boatman and you know it was like oh maybe we can go tomorrow or you know maybe the winds are too high and then fight. we really wanted to go because it meant so many extra birds. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing experience to get there, Merpati. But uh, yeah, so these. This kind of suite of birds that are only found on, not even on islands, but on tiny islands. I guess they're called super tramp species, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's, I guess, because they have amazing abilities to find these tiny islands. Most of these birds have very broad ranges, but within that huge range, they're completely restricted to tiny islets. So somehow they, they're able to fly over vast amounts of water. Or, or along the mainland, and then find another tiny island. Uh, it's pretty astounding. But, you know, even though the, the mainland or the larger island is so much closer, they don't go to that one. They go much further to, the, to these, these tiny little islands. And you, and you wonder what it is about these islands that's so special. I mean, the habitat doesn't look anything special. <laughs> it's just, it was kind of like coconut scrub. Maybe the lack of predators or maybe the lack of competition. You know, I think that's one of the theories is that on the mainland, the, the niche whatever the niche is on that island is already taken by some other species that has other advantages, but these guys have the advantages of being able and willing to to survive on these tiny little islands. It's a fascinating niche. So have you been to any other of these kind of small islands? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, there, you know, there's one off of uh, southwest Madagascar that you and I have been to many times called Nusive. Oh, of course. And what I love about that island, do you know the meaning of that in Malagasy? Is Nusive not just island? 
Nusi is island, but what about Ve? Ve. So I Ve. know there's, a, there's another one that sounds very similar, which is Nusi Bit, which is a very popular tourist destination. That means big, but I, right. I don't know about Ve. Ve is one of my favorite Malagasy words. It means yes or no. <laughs> and so you, 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 you know the way it, when you speak Spanish, when you often use the word no in that sense, it's uh -huh. like, está bien, no? Como no? Porque no? No. But it's actually a word that means yes or no. And so this is island, yes or no? So it's so small that it's, you know, almost not an island. Ah, <laughs> Nusive. And there's a colony of, uh, of red-tailed tropic birds there, which is definitely the scarcest of the world's three tropic birds. Only breeds on, on offshore islands. And another cool island I've been to in the Indian Ocean is way east of Mauritius. In the absolute middle of nowhere is an island called Rodriguez. Ooh, the Rodriguez Solitaire. Yeah. So that, you know, there used to be the dodo, which was in the pigeon family and is, is extinct. But there was also this Rodriguez solitaire, which was a relative of the dodo, also in similar. the pigeon family. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of similar, but lankier. So there's this tiny little island. It, you, I mean, it's one of the most remote places I've ever been in terms of its distance <laughs> from other, from anything. You get in a plane in Mauritius and you fly, I think it's about two and a half hours just out into the blue nothingness of the middle of the Indian Ocean. And then you land on this little speck of land that is Rodriguez. There's a couple endemic land birds there, uh, which are cool. And But there's also a, a Probably tiny... Probably a foodie or what? Yep, there's a foodie and there's a warbler, which is... A warbler? It's, it's okay. actually quite a cool... War, you know, it's in the, the Nasilla genus, these like Malagasy okay. brush warblers. But it's like up in the canopy as opposed to skulking in the understory and it's, it's quite different coloration and call. So I guess it's uh, maybe an acquired taste or you have to really be a, a student of the biogeography of the Indian Ocean to appreciate it. But I did, <laughs> I had enough background to quite enjoy it. But you know, Rodriguez, you're already in the absolute middle of nowhere, but on, it's Rodriguez is ringed by coral reefs, like a lot of tropical islands. And then on the north side of that reef ring there's a little tiny islet little sandy island and it's a breeding colony for two species of noddies and a fairy tern so i i did a boat trip from from rodriguez out there and by the time i got onto that little island you know i just felt like i'd never been further into the middle of nowhere uh, it was a, a wonderful place just these terns just flying everywhere and that was that was the first time i ever saw fairy tern as well which is quite a Amazing. It's for people who don't know, it's an all white turn with this huge eye. So it gives it this very sort of gentle, saintly look. I think they'd lay their eggs just like on a branch, don't they, without yeah. any nest at all? Yeah. Weird bird. I remember seeing a, a David Attenborough documentary on them. Have you seen a fairy turn? No, I haven't. I haven't done many of these um, oceanic islands, really. So yeah, still missing some of those birds. How about you? Any, uh, any other small island uh that you've been to i mean there's other oceanic islands like the galapagos which is a pretty fascinating place you know how the wildlife has ended up there you know with um with penguins and flamingos and and all these uh, endemic uh, darwin's finches and stuff it's quite a special place but uh yeah and some of those are quite small but um, other ones are larger is there any, any dynamic on the galapagos of like tiny little offshore islets having things that the main islands don't have I think maybe some of them have got 
some more seabird colonies. I think some of the smaller ones, you get these huge uh, booby colonies and stuff like that. Uh, I think the smaller an island is, you know, the safer it is as well. There's fewer things that are going to predate the nest. I remember coming back, maybe it was on that West Papua trip. We went by a small island that was just full of fruit bats. You remember that? Yep. Yeah, we sort of, we'd, we, there was all these kind of medium-sized islands, and we went past this tightly little islet. Yeah, it was just absolutely jam-packed with these huge flying foxes. It was amazing, yeah. So I think, again, there's a little bit of security in uh, in, in being a very small island. I actually have one more small island story, <laughs> and I have a photograph to back this up as well. Can I Can I tell it? Fire away. So this is in Japan, actually, and there's a type of warbler. It's a migrant summer bird. It breeds, but it only breeds on tiny little islands off the coast. It's called. It was called Styans before. I think now they call it Pleskies. I think it's in the grasshopper warbler family. And where I lived in Japan, there was a tiny little island, and it was actually joined at low tide to the mainland. And it was maybe, it might have been two hundred meters, and at low low tide, it was joined by a causeway. So the theory was that you could sort of wade across at uh, at low tide get the bird and then wade back dash back so this yeah this was this is this is me and my buddy sean it was a birding buddy um, when i was living in japan and we hatched this plan so we get there and then we sort of wade across and i think already it was maybe waist deep and we were thinking oh maybe it's it's going down it's going to get shallower it wasn't it was on the way up already and we had binoculars and cameras and then we sort of got to this little island and it probably took us it took us a little bit longer to find this bird than we thought and I think finally we got it and then we looked back and then this causeway had just been submerged <laughs> it was and I just heart sank you know this is and you know how, how on earth are you going to swim with binoculars and a camera like 200 meters it was like you know I don't even know what to and to make it worse I think when I was looking for this little warbler this grasshopper warbler there was like a little arch, a little stone arch. There was like a little shrine on this tiny little islet. And, and I was just sort of looking around for this bird. And I walked straight into this low arch and, uh, and, and smashed my head on this stone arch. And I had blood like streaming down into my eyes. And then it was like, what are we going to do? I said, okay, well, I'm going to try and swim. I'm going to hold my, I think even my binoculars were not waterproof. So I, I had my camera and my binoculars held above my head. And then I, I tried to swim with one arm and two legs. <laughs> How did that go? I, I made it. I'm here to tell the tale, but it, it wasn't easy. And I, I'd swallowed quite a lot of water. And, they, and I, sometimes I sort of felt my, I felt my arm sort of like falling down. And, uh, you know, I was going to submerge my camera. But, yeah, I finally made it. And I just thought, oh how could we have been so stupid not to not to take a boat or at least like a like a waterproof bag or something like that you know we could have floated the stuff back but um yeah that was quite a and i think i've got a i've got a picture of me with blood streaming down my forehead from banging my head on this uh, stone arch just before my swim back across from this little island excellent what other hobby <laughs> or or whatever you want to call it avocation could put you in the position of having to swim with one arm and two legs holding a camera in the other hand? I mean, that's got to be one of the most exactly. ridiculous situations ever. I remember in the Paralympics once, you get these people that are missing a limb that are Olympic swimmers. And I remember watching this one person, and I think they had multiple limbs. I think they had one limb, one working limb, maybe like an arm 
and they were an Olympic swimmer. Wow. And, and it took quite a while for them to do, you know, full lengths or whatever like that. And I tell you, by the time they got to the end, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Everybody had a big lump in their throat and was crying and just standing ovation that, that this person could could achieve this with one arm. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And I, and I think maybe I was had this person on my mind as well when I was swimming across this little thing with three with three, three limbs working limbs not doing it very <laughs> yeah. well probably <laughs> and I, yeah and i was thinking if they can do it with one i can do it with three come on <laughs> it probably didn't do much to uh, endear the sea to you you're you're not a big lover of the ocean in general i'm not a big lover of the ocean i almost drowned as well in mexico many years ago i got pulled out on a on a current and i've never really felt very comfortable in the sea since but yeah i'm still alive <laughs> <laughs> So another kind of small island, as I was thinking about things to chat about in this episode, you know, I was thinking of small river islands as well. Actually, a friend of mine reminded ah. me, yeah, what about, that's a whole other kind of tiny island ecosystem. So the Amazon is by far the richest place in the world for those. It not being a marine system, you know, in the middle of a river, you would think it's very different, but it's a very similar phenomenon from the supertramp species that all these Amazonian river island endemics they can be separated very great distances along the river, even though the river bank, you know, the main habitat on either side of the river is so close. You don't find them there. You only get them in these little river islands. It's a very interesting phenomenon. So have you seen those birds? Uh... I've seen most of them, actually. Yeah, there's a whole set. I don't know how many there'll be. There'll probably be a, a few dozen. The interesting thing is they're all sort of adapted to different stages of succession. Right. On the island because these these islands form you know you get like a muddy bank and then you just get a little bit of grass and then a few little bushes and then some cecropia trees and they suddenly sort of build up over time and then they become quite a sort of established island and you'll get some birds that are just there when there's a little bit of grass and other birds that are only there when it's a very sort of mature river island so it's a really really interesting phenomenon so they constantly have to as an island becomes unsuitable they have to migrate and find another island somewhere yeah, yeah it's exactly a weird the dynamic right stage of succession it is yeah yeah so the amazon is definitely the capital of those small island birds in terms of yeah, the richness yeah. of species i mean there must be around what 30 or 40 there's a i think a subspecies of barred ant shrike which is incredibly widespread and common sort of neotropical bird that is restricted to those river islands if i recall correctly um, it's pretty, pretty There's weird. quite a few, like black and white ant bird and castle nose ant shrike, and there's several uh, wood creepers and, and tyrannulates and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they're fascinating. Another place that has huge rivers is Asia. Well, there's the Ganges, and then there's uh, the Brahmaputra in uh, sort of northeastern India. But as far as I know, there's only one island specialist bird in that system. And I have a little story about my first encounter with this bird. So this bird, if you look in a field guide or, or online, you will probably won't be impressed. It's, it's a little brown bird with a long <laughs> tail, but I spent quite a bit of time in Northeast India and it's one of these things, it was just annoying me. Like I couldn't find this bird and <laughs> I'd never really heard it talked about as a small island specialist. I'd, and you know, right. maybe, maybe it is out there and I just hadn't found the information, but I finally sort of pieced together. I think this thing is a small island specialist. You know, that was my working theory. I'd still never seen it. Huh. And so, you know, occasionally people would sort of cite it on the mainland, but that was after there'd been a flood that wiped out the vegetation, and then right. there's this successional dynamic, and then they always disappear. And which was, so there's a lot of mystery about, like, 
where is it and why? Um, and so, I, you know, I've had this theory, this is a small island bird, and it, it's just in the early stages of succession when you basically have this big, I think it's an elephant grass. But anyways, it was, you know, I was in Northeast India, it was the very last day of a long tour, and uh, the guy I was guiding, he just stayed back. He was tired, and as far as he knew, there was no possibilities for lifers, and so I, I just went birding on my own. And we were birding along the banks of the Brahmaputra, and, and looking for swamp prinia. And, I, you know, it just wasn't there. And I just had this feeling, this this isn't right. I, you know, I just don't think this is the habitat of this bird. And, and on the on the main shore, things are disturbed and hacked up and burned. And, you know, then I was looking out at the river and I saw this little island with this beautiful grass sprouting up on it. And I just had, it was, it was like glowing, you know, it was like this epiphany. I was like, I think that's the place. I think that's the habitat. Little light bulbs sort of appearing above your head. Yep. And uh, so, so I was with my friend Binanda, a local guide in, uh, in northeast India, a very good birder. And, you know, he also didn't understand the status of this bird. What's, you know, he'd seen it a time or two, but he'd, never, he'd also never realized it was a small island specialist, early successional specialist, let's say. And so, you know, I, I said, Binanda, can we get to that island? And so we're looking, you know, it's a ways, it's a ways out. It's sort of at least half a kilometer out into the Brahmaputra. This is spring, so the snow is melting up in the Himalayas, and there's an unbelievable flow of water. And the current <laughs> is really strong. Water is cold. You know, we're trying to figure out, is there a way we can get a boat and get over there? And, you know, he was saying, ah, I think it's too dangerous. Well, <laughs> finally, we sort of, we convinced ourselves that we should try. We walked around and we found a guy with a boat. This was just a little dugout canoe. We talked to him. He was confident he could get us to this island. So, okay. <laughs> Go onto the boat with, you know, all our camera gear and uh, playback gear and all this stuff. Trusting our fate to this tiny little canoe on this huge, mighty river. <laughs> I didn't know how he was going to get us there, but it was fascinating to see how he did it. He stuck right next to the bank. And he must have gone almost a kilometer upstream along the bank. Right. Because it's much easier. You know, <laughs> the main current is much stronger. So if you just stay in the ebbs and yeah. the shallows, he went like a kilometer upstream. <laughs> and then he turned and he powered us out into the main stream. And then he just paddled like mad, like absolute mad <laughs> to, to try to get us to this island. And, you know, you only have one shot. If you miss it, you're, you're swept off downstream and you're going to yeah. have to paddle into the shore <laughs> and start the whole thing again. And, uh, yeah. you know, he knew he knew what he was doing. We made it to the little island. Wow. And uh, beautiful. You know, it's just this little tiny sandy island with grass just starting to sprout up. Well, you know, the grass was, it was sort of two meter tall grass. So it was quite a bit of grass. But we started trolling, playing the call of the swamp prinia. Quite a distinctive and beautiful sound. Yeah, maybe that should be our, our natural sound for this week. Yeah. Swamp, yeah. swamp prinia. And, you know, we walked around for probably 20 minutes. Nothing. You know, we were, we were about to head back and just say, well, oh, well, it was an interesting theory. And then all of a sudden, very quietly, a Swamp Prinia sang, right, like right next to us, almost like a little sub song. And we were so excited. I, I think we had like a big <laughs> bear hug. We were like, yes! We were, I mean, it was one of these great <laughs> birding moments. We were so happy. And then, of course, we, you know, sort of charge into the grass and then froze and called it again and it's quite a skulky little thing but we eventually got right. great views uh -huh. took some recordings of the call 
And I think subsequently he's showed that bird to like hundreds of clients. So he, oh, really? you know, he was really excited. Yep. He was very excited to have a stakeout for that bird because it's sort of the one Northeast Indian grassland specialty bird that he never knew like where to find it consistently. So at least as long as that island is in early succession, it'll be there. And then I guess at some point it'll either be washed away or it'll grow trees and the wrong kind of grass and the bird will disappear. But uh, yeah, it was a, in a way it was one of my top lifetime birding experiences. Just putting together the information, it was, you know, it was like a detective story. And finally figuring this out, the adventure component of getting to the island and then actually finding the thing, it was very, very satisfying. I did feel a bit bad that my friend who I was guiding, he wasn't there. I just had no idea this was on the cards. So he missed it, but he, he was okay with it. He's not too fond of little brown birds. He wasn't too upset. You actually just reminded me about another bird in Asia that, that specializes on little river islands, which is the, the Mekong wagtail. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, which is fairly recently described. I can't remember when it was, maybe around 2000 or just before or just after. But uh, yeah, we went out to see this a few years ago. There's a big river there, and you can do little boat rides to see these river dolphins, these um, Irrawaddy river dolphins. And it just so happens that that is the same place where the Mekong wagtails are found. So, And the local boatman who normally shows people dolphins knows exactly where to find these uh, Mekong wagtails as well. But they, again, they just seem to be totally adapted to these little early succession, little grassy small islands in the middle of this river. And that bird, that Mekong wagtail, it's... It's something that presumably would have migrated there in the winter and then eventually sort of stayed and bred and then turned into a separate species, right? Because it's very similar to... You know what it looks most like is the African pied wagtail. So I huh. don't know whether it, it's, it's genetically closest to a white wagtail or, or something else. White-browed wagtail or, or what, but... Maybe, yeah, maybe white-browed. Anyway, some fascinating thoughts on, on islands, river islands, oceanic islands. Yeah, it's funny what little stories you can sort of pull out. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that time when I, sw I swum back from the island for years. So it's, uh, it's funny how little stories just pop up. Absolutely. That's part of what's fun about this is we, uh, we sort of remind each other of, you know, I think, you know, we've been so many places and had so many adventures that you just forget some of them until they're triggered by some, yeah. something else. So I'll be continuing my journey. We're going to be here for a few days and then we're going to go to another island and then just start going around some national parks in the south of Thailand. So hopefully I'll be having a few more adventures that I can tell you about in the future. Some road rage, uh, if we have any luck bit, at bit all. A bit of road rage, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds great. Enjoy your travels. and uh, yeah, Yes, we'll thank you. Thanks to folks for listening, and we will catch you next week. We'll, we'll catch Charlie wherever he is, and we'll uh, record another episode.